Welcome to today's broadcast of Practically Political, where pragmatists talk politics. I'm Dave Spencer, and we have another very special guest today. John Delaney is a Democratic congressman representing Maryland's 6th District. He was elected in 2013 and is the only former CEO of a publicly traded company currently serving in the House of Representatives. Representative Delaney is also a member of the New Democrat Coalition and is the first Democrat to declare his presidential candidacy for 2020. Congressman, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Well, let's talk presidential campaigns. Obviously, there was that Washington Post article where you preach pragmatism, which obviously is music to my ears. As you can tell by the name of the show, I'm also very practical about politics. And I guess what I'd like to ask you is, what is a realistic definition of pragmatism in today's highly partisan political environment? I think the realistic definition of pragmatism is for people to focus on areas where there's clear common ground. You know, Dave, there's a long list of issues in this country, whether it's building infrastructure, reforming our criminal justice system, doing things to improve the problems that exist with the Affordable Care Act, doing things for skills training, etc., where there's broad agreement in this country. In other words, 70, 80 percent of the American people broadly support actions in these categories. And I think we haven't had the kind of leadership that actually wants to lead a conversation around the things we agree with each other on. The leadership has been entirely focused on talking about things where we don't agree with each other. And so that's how I would think about it. But how does this idea of a new Democrat, because I look back, frankly, Congressman, and I look at the 1992 election and Bill Clinton, there's a similarity, right? Democrats had lost five out of six of the last presidential elections. Republicans have lost six out of the last seven popular votes. Democrats need a reason to get excited again, which I think they do now. They needed someone who understand how real people live. That was the new Democrat back then. And Democrats need someone to get excited about again. So are you this 2018's version of a new Democrat? I am. Look, the world's changed a lot since the early 90s, and I think public policy and the issues have changed as well. But at the end of the day, whether it's health care, education, opportunities for people's kids, and jobs and pay and security, those are the issues that overwhelmingly preoccupy the American people because they're the issues that affect their day-to-day lives. And when the Democrats aren't talking about those issues, it's a big missed opportunity because fundamentally that's our job, to do real things that improve people's lives give them more opportunities, create opportunities for their kids, and create a world that's more prosperous and more secure and more just. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I think the American people are rightly upset because they view elected officials as too, too preoccupied with the things that the elected officials care about as opposed to what the citizens care about. I understand. And I think there's a fine line. And I agree with you, as it said in the article, that I think Democrats certainly in the primary process, will be willing to tolerate someone that's maybe a little more to the middle than they are just because they want to win. Right. So I definitely think you're onto something here. My challenge is how do you make it so it's things that people can bite into? I mean, you know, your economic opportunity agenda, you talk about Americans' access to tools and middle-skilled jobs and, you know, a lifelong learning. But, you know, what do you do to make that happen? So one of the big problems in this country right now, and most Americans see this, is there's a real concentration of opportunity. You know, last year, 80% of the venture capital went to 50 counties in the country out of 3,000. 
And so you're seeing this massive inequality of opportunity, and the American people see it. They worry about whether their kids are going to be able to stay in their community, whether there'll be jobs for them in the future. So the first thing you need, which I have, is an agenda to turn around huge parts of the country that have been left behind. And you need tax incentives to encourage investors to invest in these places. You need to build infrastructure to connect them to the world. You need to do things like create a preference for government contractors if they're located in places that are economically distressed. And then you got to do things like double the earned income tax credit, which is putting money in the pockets of hardworking Americans. And those four things, for example, working together would turn around huge parts of this country and get capital and investment flowing to places that haven't seen it for decades. I agree with you. And the only thing I would add is with the earned income tax credit, it works, but it works for people with kids. You only get 20% of it. If you don't, if, if you don't have kids, you got to reform it. You got to do two things. You got to double it, right? Because if you look at the benefit and then you've got to make it available uh, more broadly for people without kids. I mean, the earned income tax credit is a great program because it targets exactly the kind of people who need help, which is workers. And it creates an incentive to work. That's what I like about it is you're paying people to work as opposed to, and this, this is the conservative viewpoint, conservatives think, oh, welfare, you're paying them not to work, unemployment, same thing. So I agree with you. I think that's a real winner. So there are a lot of people that are talking about these issues. You know, you hear um, congressmen from other Rust Belt, but what makes you a different kind of Democrat? Well, first of all, I've got a track record of building coalitions around these things. So for example, I've got a bipartisan infrastructure proposal that builds trillion dollars of infrastructure fully paid for, and it had the head of the Progressive Caucus and the head of the Freedom Caucus each on the bill. So I think I've got a proven track record of taking some of these big issues and working them through with the other side so that you can get bipartisan buy-in. And I think the American people know, and it's our duty to remind them of this, everything great that this country's done historically has been on a bipartisan basis. So you have to approach these things with some sense of pragmatic idealism where you want to get big things done, really, really big things that make a difference in people's lives, but you've got to have them built on the foundation of common ground. So I think that's one way that makes me a different kind of Democrat. The, the other way is that, that I, I actually believe in the power of the private markets. I think capitalism has been an extraordinary innovation machine and is fundamentally the best economic model and will continue to improve the quality of all of our lives. But we absolutely have to do things to make capitalism more just and inclusive, which is what we've done always across time, right? We've always been updating our economic model, and we got to do that again. So I don't run away from capitalism. I actually think it works, but I do fully embrace a whole bunch of reforms that are also broadly supported by the business community that can actually make it a system that, that more Americans can benefit from. I totally agree with you on the bipartisanship, by the way. That was Obamacare's main problem. It was the first major piece of social legislation ever passed without some bipartisan support. And you saw how damaging that was. What made you decide to enter the race so early? Was it trying to get name recognition in Iowa? And obviously, you're fortunate enough to be a businessman. You have your own resources, and that, that certainly helps. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I think I'm the right person for the job, and I have the right vision for the country, and I'm really focused on the future, which I think has been lacking in our political discourse. The problem is not enough people know who I am. So the way I solve that problem is by getting in early. In the last year, we've done 17 trips to Iowa, 
We've done 11 to New Hampshire. We've done 300 events on the ground in those two states. A couple weeks ago, there was an independent poll done in Iowa as part of the gubernatorial election, and I had a 79% name ID. Um, so our plan worked. We got ourselves in the game. And in January of 2019, when the real race starts, we will be able to compete against the top-tier candidates because we actually developed a strategy how someone who's relatively unknown could get themselves positioned to compete in the early states. In 2016, I supported Ohio Governor John Kasich, whom I felt was the most practical and qualified presidential candidate, as well as one who sought to unite rather than further divide the country. I've always maintained, and I've said this in my writing, that I think governors make good presidents because they've run things, and obviously you've run a business, but James Garfield, I think, was the last congressman to go straight to the White House. So it's been a while. So what are your strategies for dealing with that? Well, it's interesting because I've done 300 events in Iowa, New Hampshire, and there's not a single person who has made reference to the fact that I'm only in the House as opposed to the Senate or a governor. So in other words, I don't think most Americans care about that inside baseball stuff. I think the reason there's been so few members from the House as opposed to senators is because if you're in the House, you pretty much have to give up your seat to run for president which you don't have to do in the Senate. So the real correlation is how many senators and governors actually run for president when it corresponds with their reelection. And the answer is that almost never happens. So that's my view about being in the House. But the one thing I can tell you, Dave, is most Americans don't really care about that issue at all. But if President Trump runs for reelection in 2020, how will you and other Democrats counter his distortion or denial of the facts? How do you stay calm when he stokes anger amongst his base and makes personal attacks on his opponents? And I don't know, I, I keep hearing this, when they go low, we go high. Isn't that unrealistic? Like the old saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight? Well, look, you have to go toe-to-toe with the president and be able to do it and call him out when he lies, call him out when he's belittling people, call him out when he's undermining the values and norms in our society. But you also have to tell the American people what you're going to do for them, right? The election isn't about how bad he is, because my view is I think most Americans have figured a lot of that out. The election is really about what are we going to do for them? What, as president, will I do to make a difference in their lives? And half the events I'm at, I'm actually going specifically through what I would do in my first 100 days as president. I think a president should look at the American people when they're inaugurated and say, listen, I represent every single one of you, whether you voted for me or not. And to prove it, in my first 100 days, here's a list of things that enjoy broad bipartisan support in the Congress, and I'm going to get these things done for you. And they're going to matter in your lives. They're going to help you. They're going to help your kids. They're going to help your families. And they're going to help our country compete in a world that's changing rapidly. Because that's also something, Dave, I spent a lot of time talking about, which is how technological innovation and globalization are really fundamentally changing everything in our society, and that our government is not doing the basic things we should be doing to prepare our citizens for it. And the American people get that. I mean, they see it in their day-to-day lives. They see that their kids are addicted to these devices, and it's affecting them and their school and their mental health. They see how jobs are getting displaced by automation and robotics. They see all this stuff. And they haven't had leadership that's actually had the courage and honesty to talk about these issues and problems 
but also talk honestly about the solutions that we need to do together as Americans. I totally agree with you that the number one rule of politics is you can't get elected by getting people to vote against something. They've got to vote for something. So I agree with you on that. But also, I think Democrats have been so blind to the fact that it's not economic issues that got Trump elected. It's racial, cultural, social issues. He pulled off the incredible feat of making white men feel like a minority in their own country. And by the way, I totally get it. These people feel that their country's being taken away from them. You know, the first black president, the browning of America through immigration, stealing of their jobs through trade, being left behind by globalization. You know, these are legitimate fears. And so the Democrats, I don't think, haven't done enough to address it. And that leads me to my next question. And that is, with your business experience, what makes that experience so relevant to the responsibilities of being the country's chief executive officer? I'm running on the fact that I've got the two skill sets you need. I've been successful in politics and I've been successful in business. And I think we shouldn't elect someone with no political experience. And I quite frankly think it's a lot better to elect people who have lived in the real world as opposed to spending their whole time in politics. I think what's different about my business career is I ran two companies. They were public companies and they were admired in their communities. They got all kinds of awards for how we treated our workers and how we served our communities, which is a very different track record than the president has. But the other thing is I actually started these businesses from scratch. When I grew up in a blue-collar family. My parents didn't go to college. My dad's electrical union paid for me to go to college. And I became an entrepreneur. And I was the youngest CEO in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. I was given the Entrepreneur of the Year Award back in '04 with my second business. So I've got not only his track record in running a business, but I'm a real honest-to-God entrepreneur who started businesses, created thousands of jobs. And I think if you think about what the economy of the United States of America is likely to look like across the next several decades, where we have so much more competition than we've ever had, where China is becoming our economic rival and particularly well-positioned to compete in the next stage of innovation, that we need a president who understands the entrepreneurial economy because that's what's going to get us out of this mess, which is empowering a bunch of entrepreneurs to get out there and dream big and start businesses and having the fabric of society that allows them to take that risk and allows people to change jobs and join startups and be ambitious with their careers. And I think I understand that without question better than probably anyone who's going to run for president because I've lived it and I've done it. I would also add to that, I think that the skills training that you talked about, because some people don't want to work in tech jobs. No, of course not. You can make a good living as a plumber and as an electrician without a college degree. And the college degree has become the great dividing line in our society now. Well, one of the things I've called for, I think you'll appreciate this, Dave, is national service. And I've called for it for two reasons. One, because it's such a unifying thing, but two, to get at the issue you're talking about. Because right now we've got a situation where 70% of the kids who graduate from high school in this country are not eligible for the U.S. military, either because they have hard or soft skills deficiencies. So obviously we're turning out a lot of kids who can't get a good job or can't continue their education. And we need to do something big to really change how our young people are prepared for the world. And I think one of the best things we could do is national service, which would involve a whole new program that people either join the military or they do community service, or they work to rebuild our country. And they get a certificate and, and it's part of a, a big apprenticeship program. We've got to think differently about the issue you're getting at, because college is not the right answer for every American, but getting skills 
is the right answer for every American. And think about rebuilding our infrastructure and our federal buildings and the skills training that could come with that. As an estranged Republican, I believe the best thing that could happen to the GOP is to lose elections and lose a few. You know, that's what got the Democrats. That's unfortunately what gets people. So I guess I just don't see any other way to bring the party back towards the center. So do you see a blue wave as the beginning of a return to actual progress? Or are the cynics so right that we're so deeply divided that the healing will take far longer? No, I don't buy the cynics. First of all, I'm a huge believer in the American people. And I also, and this is the entrepreneur in me, know that things can change fast, right? We can turn this around very quickly, but we need a different kind of leadership. And importantly, the American people have to own this. They have to be called upon to actually solve this problem because good speeches aren't going to solve this problem alone. It's going to take the American people electing different types of people who actually want to try to represent everyone and get things done. And so I think the Democratic Party has a once-in-a-generational opportunity right now Because what Trump has done to fracture the Republican Party means that if we actually just become the party that the American people are looking for and they need, which is a civil, inclusive, common-sense party, we can get progressives, moderates, independents, and disaffected Republicans under one umbrella, and we can win elections and actually govern. Well, as a pragmatist and a stubborn optimist, I always ask my guests one final question, and that's even in such a dysfunctional and divisive time. In addition to what you've mentioned, what gives you hope for the future? Well, the young people, right? I think young people in this country are very issue-focused. They're not political party-focused. You know, they grew up in a world where the devices in our pockets allow them to go around things they don't like. And I think they're looking at the political system and they're seeing how it is, and they want a new political future. And, I, you know, I'm an optimist as well. I think the world gets better every single day. It doesn't get better for every single person every single day, but the trajectory of progress is, in fact, positive. And we just have to do things to create an environment where more people participate in it. Can you imagine how much higher Congress's approval rating would be if either President Obama or President Trump would have done a big trillion-dollar infrastructure bipartisan plan as their first thing in office? That, in and of itself, would have doubled the approval rating of the Congress. You've been listening to our conversation with Representative John Delaney of Maryland, a member of the new Democrat coalition and the first Democrat to declare his candidacy for president in 2020. Congressman, thanks so much for appearing on the show. Look forward to continuing our conversations after the midterms. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So that's it for today, folks. I'll see you on our next round of Practically Political, where we go beyond the deluge of everyday news to dive deeper into American politics. I'm Dave Spencer. Have a great week.